we know that games at their best can make you feel powerful, can make you feel strong, can give you moments of insight, can face you with ethical dilemmas that make you stop and think. And maybe at the out of that ethical dilemma, you come out with a moment of insight. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin! Raise up your game development with a new podcast sponsor, Game Refinery. Having been the user myself, what I like about Game Refinery's tool is that it helps game developers take a more data-driven approach to adding features, metas, and live events to their mobile games at any stage of development, from new game development to growing the current portfolio of games. And what makes Game Refinery differ from a traditional market research tool is that its team of game analysts play and deconstruct the best-in-class mobile games on an ongoing basis across 50 genres, hundreds of features, and thousands of live events. The data insights provided are actionable because they are based on data collected by real humans and not bots. And you will save a lot of time browsing through a database of almost 100,000 screenshot implementation that you can collect and share with your teammates. So want to learn more about how game developers like Zynga, Funplus, Rovio, Garena, and King use Game Refinery to build better games with leaner teams? Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or just check out the link in the podcast episode notes. So today... I'm super excited to be sitting with Maria Science, who is the CEO of Astu Games. So before we start and to tell more about Maria. So Maria has been helping games companies succeed in the digital space, build great brands, launch games, and engage players for nearly two decades. She spent 14 years at EA building online functions and on marketing leadership roles for franchises like Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Dead Space, Star Wars, Mirror's Age, and Battlefield. In 2015, she joined CCP Games, the Icelandic developer of EVE Online, as the chief customer officer. And now at us Games, she has been helping the company evolve beyond their Monument Valley heritage and expand into new platform and business models. So among the most recent release is Alba, a wildlife adventure, which has received numerous awards, including an Apple Design Award and Game of the Year at the Games for Change Festival. And of course, additionally, Maria is a Spaniard and over to two teenagers and has lived and worked in 11 countries. Wow, it's very inspirational. I wish I have also a bio like this. I have a few years to go, but a very in inspiring and great track record. So super excited to have you here. How, how are you? I'm great. I'm really excited to, to be here. I've been listening to a lot of your previous episodes and I love them. So yeah, I'm just really looking forward to this. So before we begin, I love to ask also this question to get started because life is busy and I would like to know what's exciting for you these days. Yeah, right now, uh, I wish I could tell you something outside of work, but honestly, <laughs> <laughs> we, we're in the final stages of our next game, Desta, 
And that's pretty exciting because it's that time in the project uh, when you can see everything coming together and we're starting to get like mock reviews back and the marketing assets are coming together and it's looking fantastic. So all of that, it's really, really exciting right now. And the game's going to come out later this year with, um, with Netflix, which is also really fun for us to be working with a new partner. So that is occupying a lot of my headspace right now and something that just brings me a lot of fun and excitement, which I think excitement is like fun with a little bit of nervousness. You know, you're like, oh, you know, what will people think about this? Will people love it as much as we're loving it? So, yeah, that's something that we're really proud and excited about right now. I've seen some footage of the game and of the partnership announced with Netflix. It is very exciting. And I think Netflix has gone really big recently with a lot of partnerships with big game developers. So I, I totally can see this in it. It is also something that uh, I find I'm very curious to see how it will unfold is how will the platform of games develop on Netflix with a really, really good catalog of games and the whole subscription model. I would be curious to hear also some words from you, like how do you see this model evolving, which is really blending with not only games here, but it's really media entertainment, you know, movie consumptions. Yeah, I mean, I think that I see this as early days in the development of what's going to be a new way of, of consuming games, right? Subscriptions have been around for a while. And the idea of putting in games as part of a bigger subscription and with other content is, is relatively new. But I think that the reach that somebody like Netflix has with what, what is it like a hundred million subscribers or something like that is, is, is incredible. And uh, so being able to be part of, of, of that gives us a, a reach that for companies like us that have been traditionally making premium mobile games is a really hard to reach. So I, I think that this has is, is bringing a new business model that's really good for the kind of content that we create. And I think it's also good for players. So what exactly does it look like three, five years from now? I'm not sure, but I, but I do see it as a positive development, as something that is going to take a while to evolve into into its stable form. Yeah, very excited to see how it will develop. So we will talk more about it, I would say, a year from now, and it might look very different. And, and so now, so let's get more into your position as a CEO and of us two games, because through all my discussion, of course, CEO is a title, but I think it's very, very different and depends on the organization. So what is your mission today with the company and also the context of the state of the company when you joined three years ago? Could you walk us through that? Sure. So our mission at us to games is to bring what is meaningful about games to everyone. So what we mean by that is we know that games are much more than just fun and entertainment. And fun and entertainment are amazing things. But we know that games at their best can make you feel powerful, can make you feel strong, can give you moments of insight, can face you with ethical dilemmas that make you stop and think. And maybe at the out of that ethical dilemma, you come out with a moment of insight. They 
teach you things about yourself. They teach you things about the world. They can make you fall in love with a character or fall in love with another player. Games have the power to create some of the most powerful memories. I Some of those memories I have from games are as vivid as if I have physically stepped in these places and walked and done these things. So we know that games at their best have the power to do all of these things that we think are very meaningful, that have meaning for players. But these peak experiences of games are very often hidden behind barriers and they're not available to the billions of people that actually play games in the world, whether it's on a mobile phone or on other hardware. These barriers are the barrier of hardware. I may not have access to a powerful PC or to a powerful console. The barriers of money, which is, you know, the money to spend on a AAA game or, you know, on that hardware. The barrier of time. I may not have 60 hours to spend on, on an RPG or a few hundred hours to spend on, on an MMO. And then the barrier of language. I might not consider myself a gamer and I might not have that that ability to read what a game wants from me. So the way that we think about it is we think about these peak experiences of gaming, those moments that are meaningful, those moments that create powerful memories. And we think about how can we remove those barriers? So for example, with Alba, a wildlife adventure, we were inspired by open world adventure games that moment where you climb to the top of a hill and then see what's available to you and you really want to explore it, or the moment where you get lost and you have to trace your space back or you encounter a character. And we were thinking, how could we recreate that moment, some of these moments, on the palm of your hand and you're only using one finger to navigate and Mm. play this thing? Not just because we like to make things difficult for ourselves, but because we want to bring these these powerful experiences to people who don't consider themselves gamers, people who only have a mobile phone. So that's kind of what we're trying to do at Us2 Games. And within that, my role in the company as CEO, the way that I look at it is um, I'm there to enable the teams to do the best work of their careers. So it's about Sometimes it's about removing barriers. Sometimes it's about getting the resources, whether it's financial or people. It's about creating the structures. Sometimes providing the context of helping them define a strategy or leading on the creation of of such a strategy so that there is clarity and there is alignment within the team. So I, I see myself as an enabler and as a remover of barriers to really ultimately allow people to do the best work that they can. I was really listening with a, f- of a great attention what you were saying, and it was a lot of deep thinking in the mission, you know, what games uh, not only are, but can be. I think this is where it is a, a vision, right? You, you, you try to create a future that doesn't exist yet. And I, I think uh, you have an amazing career. And I think you, at, at the time before you join us to games, could have worked anywhere, build a company or, you know, like keep going the career ladder. However, you decided to join us to games and what was this choice for you and how did you relate to the mission of a company, which I assume existed already and 
what made you make this choice, you know, to take on, on the adventure with us two games? So I joined us two group. Us two games has been until very recently part of a bigger group called the Astu Group. And in, in about 2018, when I left CCP, the, the group, the founders and the board were looking for a non-executive board member that had games experience to help them bring some kind of external expertise into, in, into the board. And I, so I joined them as a board member first. And it was only about a year later that I joined full time as a CEO. And I think when I joined, the company was going through that difficult second album moment that, <laughs> you know, many games companies go through. You know, you're very successful with not quite your first game, but nearly your first game. And part of what I did in my role as a non-executive director and, and, and working with the management team was develop some of that mission and vision. So I, I think why I chose to do this, I think we have to go a little bit back. <laughs> mm -hmm. I had come out of CCP I, after three years there. And I, when I left, I, it was a combination of the company had been sold and the focus of the company was really shifting towards Reykjavik at the time where I was based in London. And also I, I was a little bit burnt out. The last year on that job was incredibly hard. And so I thought, I, I need to take some time off and, and kind of even, I was even questioning whether I wanted to be in games at that point. So I thought, okay, I'm going to give myself some time, really think about it and explore other sources of inspiration. But luckily I had already been in touch with the us two guys. And, and so I had already kind of secured that I would be on their board, it's, you know, a few hours a month on board meetings, very light. So I took time off. I did some consulting both in the industry, but also outside of the industry. But, and literally I just went for coffee with everybody. I wanted <laughs> to see what's happening in mobile, what's happening in VR, what's happening in this, what's happening in, in FinTech, like what's happening in health tech. I wanted to really kind of confirm if I still wanted to be in games. <laughs> and what I saw was that of all the conversations I was having and all the projects I was being involved with, the games ones were the ones that really filled me with excitement and energy and I could connect with the people. And I was just, I, I, it was still where the fun was for me. And particularly with us too, what I, I saw was a company with an amazing track record, of having created just beautiful, beautiful work, but also a company and a team that had very similar values to mine, very just kind and honest and human, very thoughtful about the impact that their work had on consumers and players, but also on society at large. And one of the things that was going on was that the core team that had worked on Monument Valley had grown the company and were now doing management jobs mm. and they didn't like it. They wanted to get back to making games. So part of what we sort of were working on together was, okay, how do we restructure the company to allow that to happen? And then that's when they said, well, why, why don't you come and, and, and help us do this? 
I've loved it ever since. And I mean, I think that when I look back at my career, a lot of it has been about trying to get closer to the creative teams. I came from a very corporate background, started out as a management consultant, but at some point I realized I wanted to work in creative industries and that's when I moved over to games. Thanks for sharing your journey and it's a great example of how you've been open to talk to many people outside of games. I have a question as well. You're coming to my mind once in a while and I think it's very healthy. It's like a relationship, you know, you have to reassess it and... Is it still a choice while you're here or is it like just uh, being in autopilot and it's not usually so good to be just in autopilot? But can, and, if I may interrupt you, there's also something else going on there that I think that when I came into the industry 20 years ago, there was nobody like me. There were very few people like me, mm. right? I was a woman. I was, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years now. I was kind of 30 at the time. I was already not that young for the industry. So I always had this sense of, I always thought of the film, I, I don't know if you've seen this film called Logan's Run. It's a, it's a science fiction film from the 70s where mm. everybody over 40 disappears. Um, <laughs> and you're like, where do, like, and then these two people are about to turn 40, so they escape from this dystopic society. And I always thought the games industry was like Logan's Run. People just died or went into some, you know, maybe they turned them into, into uh, Soylent Green. Oh, that's a different film. But I don't know. People were... It, I, I always thought there's a clock here and at some mm -hmm. point I'm going to be too old for this thing. And it just didn't come yet. And like, oh, I'm not too old for it yet. But I did very often stop and say, am I getting too old for this thing? Um, <laughs> so, I, And I think that's kind of what's changed in the last 20 years is that the, the industry has become a lot more diverse. And I know we have mm -hmm. a lot way to, you know, long way to go yet. But I think that that's always one of the things that was always in the back of my mind, thinking at some point this has to end. At some point, I got to get a serious job. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a short break to hear a few words from a sponsor who are making this episode possible. In today's challenging mobile game market, the most successful games grow and retain players by continuously adding new features, metas, and live events. Game Refineries 2 lets you scale up your collection and analysis of the best practices behind the most successful games today without building out a big team to do so, so you can spend less time playing your competitors' games and more time improving your own. You already use data to optimize your UI and monetization. Now use the data-driven approach to game production, whether you are developing new games or growing existing ones. Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or check out the link in the podcast episode notes. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Back to this then, uh, you know, about uh, how you join. I think it's uh, very interesting where I have seen this often as well, where you have people who are really the creative of making the games. And it is a very different skill set and even focus and creating an organization. And that's something I have seen a lot and it's been mixed. And the fact also that there was the original team recognizing like we maybe are not the best people to do this. We need help. And you also coming with your experience and aligning with the values to help. The whole exercise I find very difficult because I've seen many startups even in a maturing stage, not even being aware about the vision, 
their mission or even their values. I'm really curious, what was the whole process? How were you, how did you approach it or how were you helped to crystallize this with the team as you join as a CEO and do all this work? Yeah, I, I think in, in a way we are in a very privileged place, a very lucky place because the original founders of us to the group, these two childhood friends who started a digital agency in mm -hmm. uh, Shoreditch in the early 2000s. But the two of them, Sinks and Mills, from the very beginning, they knew they wanted to create a company that, was, that wasn't really stuck with the usual corporate life and ways of working. Uh, they knew they wanted to create something completely different, something more human, something more authentic, something a place where people could be their full authentic selves. And, and so that was there from the very beginning. So, so there was a set of values already that were the group values. They applied uh, to their core business, the studios or client services business, but they were also applying to games. Those were things like be human, learn together, raise the bar. So, you know, encouraging people to be more entrepreneurial and, you know, just do it mm -hmm. and, uh, and enjoy the journey. So those were the, the, the values that were in place. And this is the kind of place where you would walk in the day, the, the first day that I walk in through, through the door, I could see that the company was actually living and breathing these values. But the games team had spun out into its own company within the group, moved to a different location mm -hmm. and started to grow beyond that original Monument Valley team. And it felt like some of these, there's nothing wrong with them, but I think with values, you really need to feel that they're coming from you and that they're more than just words on, on a sticker. So just from that separation, they had started to feel a bit more stale. However, we didn't really revise the values for a while because, because well, first of all, it wasn't, we had a clear mission. They were good enough. And I think it's been more as a result of the demerger when we finally become independent from the group and we're now a, a full standalone company now let's revise these values because otherwise it would have been like, why are we different? And from why, mm. what, what's wrong with that? Now there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not us anymore. And we are, so we've actually just been through the process of working together with the team and looking at what those are. And we haven't yet landed on kind of six sort of easy to remember PC <laughs> sort mm -hmm. of statements. Uh, that encompass everything about us, we can't mm -hmm. gravitate towards kindness, but how do we make kindness as an expression be forward looking and not be passive, not to mm -hmm. be something that is kind of empowering. You know, we're playing around with the expression, we dare to care. It sounds a little bit cheesy, but it seems that <laughs> some people are kind of nodding positively to that. I think it's important to, to do this bottom up, first of all, because just it's part of our culture that it's very consultative and we involve people in a lot of things. You know, we probably could be a lot more efficient if we didn't consult people so much, but, but it's part of the culture. It's part of what builds trust. And I think it just, 
you know, it just means that when finally we land on the six or seven words that those values, it will feel to people like it came from them. It was shared and therefore they're, they're true and they really reflect how we want to operate and what we want to hold ourselves accountable against. And um, also something that I read as well, and I was curious to ask about, about was that your company has been recently certified as a B Corp. So could you explain first for maybe the listeners who don't even know what a B Corp is and why it was important for you as a company to be B Corp certified? Sure. B Corps are essentially companies that are trying and, and committed to being more than just for profit. They're trying to be for-profit, for-people, and for-planet. So we're all for-profit companies, but we realize that we can use our power as economic agents, our power as employers, as creators of products, of media, of entertainment, consumers of products and services. All of that power, we can use that for positive impact on the planet and positive impact on our communities and on our employees. So it forces you to be on this kind of straight and narrow. It gives you a community of other companies that are going through the same problems that you can go and say, hey, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? And it makes you think about things that uh, perhaps we were not thinking about. So, for example, one of the criteria is what percentage of your suppliers are owned by women or people from um Mm. disadvantaged backgrounds. Who's our cleaning company? Who owns, you know, we buy food from Ocado. Who mm. owns Unity? Who owns, like, and then you start to think about all of these products. And this is like where you talk about you are not as an economic agent. You're a, mm -hmm. as a company, you're a consumer, you spend money and that money is power. So mm -hmm. how can you use that power to direct it for social inclusion and etc.? So it is hard. It's a lot of work, but I think it's given us clarity over, okay, everybody wants to be good. Everybody wants to do good for the world. Well, here's a rule book, you know, mm -hmm. yes, make your games. Yes, make money, but do more of these things. And that, you know, means that you're not wasting your time or that you're focusing on the right things. And very often the questions start with, as a B Corp, how are we going to do this? As a B Corp, mm. have we considered that? And I think that it that just gives the team a sense of alignment, a sense of trust that they're at a place that cares about the same things that they care. It gives me as a CEO it gives and the leadership team a really strong alignment with the board. Because if we're coming to the board saying, hey, We got to give everybody a pay rise mid-year as a cost of living adjustment. We know with our board that it's not just the right thing to do, it's the B Corp thing to do. And I know as well from the game, Alba, as well, that you have concretely supported the planet, right? If you could share the examples that you had as well with, I think it was a million trees planted. Yeah, yeah. yes. So, so I think that's a really specific example of where Alba, like, Many of our games comes from a very personal place to, you know, two people in our team who grew up in the Mediterranean, who love 
animal photography and who came up with the concept about animal photography in the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And as you start developing the concept, you start asking why. Why do you have to take pictures of animals? What's the point? And very quickly, the themes that emerge around that is, well, the environment is in danger. The animals are in danger. And as, as the game was taking shape, it was clear that you couldn't really make a game about nature these days and not make it about the impact that humans have in nature and not make it about the environment. So those themes just very naturally were coming out. But as, as the development of the game continued, at some point we said, okay, all right, so this game, we're making this game, it's about environmental impact. As a B Corp, we cannot just make a game about the environment. We have to take it further. So from there we say, okay, how do we make sure that the science and the, the references that are in the game are correct? How do we make sure that we activate our audience and educate our audience? And how do we make sure that we have a physical, tangible, real impact on, on the environment? And we were lucky to be able to partner with UN Life, which is part of the UN, mm -hmm. and also with the, the, the folks at Playing for the Planet, who are amazing. And one of the things that we did was we created some form of community activation social network where people will get points for doing things that have a science-backed impact. So things like, uh, you know, cycle instead of drive or etc. And there were 16 things. And we worked with a partner to create this kind of community. Well, that didn't work out. The other thing that we did think is, okay, how do we have a real tangible impact is that we use the game to protect trees. Ultimately, we ended up planting trees. So the campaign has been for every copy of the game downloaded, whether it's through Apple Arcade, or bought on PCM console, we plant a tree. And I think we've more than exceeded a million. I forget where we are, we're like mm -hmm. 1.2 or something like that. And it's been fantastic because our players love it. Our players have seen that they've also donated additional trees to Alba's forest. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really inspired us to say, wow, we can have a real impact with our games. And now we've kind of taken on board that every game that we make from now on, we're going to think about what social aspect or theme is it impacting and how do we mobilize our players and our financial power to have a real impact on, on this topic. It's a great success story and really a point of reflection as well, again, of having meaningful impact, uh, you know, out of games. So, um, yeah, for the last part then of our discussion today, there's so much we talked about. And I would like to understand your own journey. What shaped you, you know, the vision you have and like also your, you seem to really know as well what you want in this point of life. So my first question is also, are there some events in your life uh, that shaped you really in the way you are and have developed in life? So my mom died when I was very young. I was a teenager and mm -hmm. I was the oldest of six siblings, so me plus five. And I think that inevitably that makes you think about life running out, right? Like, like mm. any minute <laughs> this can happen. Yeah. And, you know, life is short. And my mom was somebody who 
just had a huge kind of thirst for life, very joyful, really fun. And and I think that inevitably, like a lot of that I've, I've taken on and uh, from her and kind of celebrated afterwards. So I think, I think that sense of make the most of it, but also one of the things that became really clear to me at that time was how important it was to prioritize and and i have it's not like i've always been super focused on my priorities my whole life i not at all mm. but i've always known that any drama in my head is my own drama but whenever i felt overwhelmed by any of these things i always knew that i could just take a step back and bring it back to priorities and bring it back to what's most important to me which has always been you know, family and a sense of growth and learning with fun at work. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely a, a big impact on how to approach things. And it's really important to be aware of those priorities, but I can imagine you also are very busy. And how do you manage or check in with yourself that you are, you know, managing your time or having a schedule that reflects those priorities? What are your tools? Well, I mean, one of my tools is trying to look after myself. I know that if I look after myself and I'm a little bit selfish, I can be there afterwards. I can be there for others. I can be a better boss, a better mom, mm -hmm. a better wife, a better friend. And I think that what that looks like in terms of looking after myself has changed over the years. It hasn't always been the same. You know, sometimes it just meant going out really and going to concerts and going dancing. One of the things that was good for me in the pandemic was that it forced me to develop a morning routine And my morning routines is probably one of my most prized mm -hmm. <laughs> habits. Uh, I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. It's just, you know, meditation, mm -hmm. exercise. I go for a walk every morning before I start working. And that walk in the morning is probably the thing that I will prioritize versus everything else. Yeah, I think here the routine for sure. And especially I think as women, we have always this little guilt and voice to take care of ourselves first, but this is the right thing to do for all the things you have mentioned. So, mm. you know, it's a good reminder. And I I have discovered it through a hard, a hard way as for well myself to, it will be beneficial in the long run to do this due diligence for yourself. And uh, my last question, which is really very personal, but what is your definition of success, you know, uh, in life or if, whether it's with a company, whatever you would like to share? I don't think a lot about success. I think about growth and learning and fun. And for me, success just being here today and being able to take some time to speak with you about these things having had a meeting just before I came to this, I had a one-to-one -one with somebody in my team where we talked about, you know, a challenging topic, but it was a really nourishing conversation mm -hmm. where we felt really proud of the relationship that we have and happy that we're able to discuss it this way. To me, that's what feels like success. 
but having said that, I, I always think about it. I've always been friends with old lady Maria. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I go and buy clothes, I think, will I wear this when I'm 70? Yeah, I could wear this when I'm 70. <laughs> or when I exercise like, oh, old lady Maria is going to be happy that I did this today. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know why I brought that up. But th there's something about that combination of living in the moment and having fun mm -hmm. in the moment and enjoying what you're doing, but also building for a future Maria that will appreciate friends and will appreciate family and will appreciate financial stability. Yeah, it's a balance between those two things. On those last words, it's once again, like very authentic, very connected with yourself and, and super funny. So I, I really <laughs> enjoyed the conversation with you today. So much humanity and like wholeness of your personality today, Maria. So uh, we reached the end today of our conversation, unfortunately, but I have enjoyed it a lot and you know, just so many things of wisdom and, and learning and very inspiring. Thanks a lot again for your time and sharing your experience, personal as well, journey. And I hope you enjoyed it the same as well. No, thank you. It's really been a, a pleasure. And yeah, let's do that. I think one of your previous guests was talking about a rice and play get together. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's on my 2023 plan. Like I have a board like still empty, but I'm, I am thinking about it, and I think it would be an amazing event. I think we would be all so excited. Or we kind of know a bit each other through the stories to meet in person. Good, good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement. Please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week. And until the next time, 